Morena, and welcome to the Dawn Chorus for Monday, May the 15th. I'm Bernard Hickey, and this is my daily podcast that goes out with my email newsletter via my substack called The Kaka, in which I look at housing, unaffordability, climate change in action, and poverty reduction in Aotearoa's political economy. Today I wanted to focus on a couple of things around the politics and the housing in our economy, both of which are pretty closely intertwined. Firstly, we got some poll results last night from NewsHub through its Read Research poll, which on the face of it didn't seem to change much. Uh, There was a slight reduction for national and a slightly bigger reduction for Labour, but nothing that really changed the balance between the centre-right and the centre-left. They're pretty much even Stevens at the moment. That means that Te Pāti Māori, which has around about 3-4% to of the vote, according to the three latest polls, and this latest read research poll showed a 1.7% increase to 3%. That puts Te Pāti Māori clearly in the kingmaker position in any uh, negotiations that happen after an election, if the election results were in line with these poll results. And that's because it's pretty clear Te Pāti Māori uh, have at least two electorates in the bag, possibly three, and with that 3 or 4%, they could expect maybe one or two, depending on what happens, new MPs uh, in Parliament. Uh, the other potential players are uh, the Opportunities Party, which was up 0.5 percentage points to 2.0 percentage points in today's or last night's poll from News Hub, and uh, New Zealand First at around about 3%. Uh, New Zealand First, if they obviously don't get over the threshold, are irrelevant um, because they don't have access to an electorate seat to get in. Uh, The Opportunities Party would also be irrelevant if uh, it didn't get over 5%, and currently on 2%, that looks unlikely. However, uh, party leader Raf Manji is hopeful of winning the Ilam uh, seat in Christchurch which is currently held um, precariously, you could argue, by Labour uh, and surprisingly taken by Labour in the last election. Traditionally, it's a centre-right seat, previously held by Joe Brownlee. He's not standing in that seat again. It is a relatively new and unknown national candidate. The Labour candidate, uh, Sarah Pellet, hasn't um, uh, caused a big stir in Parliament or become very well-known in Christchurch, and Raf Manji was uh, actually uh, did quite well in the 2017 election as an independent candidate. Mm-hmm. He had quite a high profile in Christchurch as um, a, a uh, close um, colleague of the Mayor uh, Leanne Dalziel during uh, the second part of the earthquake recovery where he was effectively the Christchurch Council's finance minister, he could call it. So that really depends on the Opportunities Party winning island to have any sort of say in the election result. Now the reason this is all interesting, I think, is because last week, of course, Christopher Luxon ruled out national governing with Te Party Māori and essentially said, 
if it's close, then the only people we can work with potentially are New Zealand First, who currently are not over that 5% threshold. And the risk for uh, National is not only do they not have a pathway to power, even if uh, the combined centre-right vote of National and ACT are greater than Labour and the Greens, but by doing this, uh, Luxon has presented himself as more of an extremist than, say, John Key did, who didn't rule out working with Te Pāti Māori uh, at the last, at the 2008, 11 and 14 elections. And of course, Te Pāti Māori worked in um, partnership with National over that period. So the question is, uh, uh, what what uh, ha- impact has this had on the view of National and of Christopher Luxon? And what might it mean for the election results? Obviously, we're still five or six months away from the election. We haven't really started campaigning in earnest, so probably a bit early to say. But certainly at the moment, uh, uh, Christopher Luxon risks painting himself into a, a corner as someone who's less flexible, less pragmatic, and uh, less of the centre than, say, John Key. And it's interesting to see the preferred PM uh, results from last night's poll, which show that Christopher Luxon is down again to a record low and lower than Judith Collins was just before the 2020 election. And Christopher Hipkins, uh, who has, uh, well, Chris Hipkins, as he calls himself, as opposed to Christopher Luxon, as he calls himself. Uh, Chris Hipkins is uh, um, up in that preferred PM poll and significantly ahead of Luxon and still uh, benefiting from the uh, boost uh, he received in that clean uh, takeover, if you like, from Jacinda Ardern in mid-January. So the um, the risk here for Christopher Luxon is that he paints himself as an extremist um, with his rhetoric around um, saying that uh, Te Pāti Māori are looking for a separatist um, agenda and that he was very keen on one person one vote that um, that he paints himself into a corner as an extremist and suffers the same fate as Don Brash did in 2005 when he went into the election campaign as the National Party leader ahead of Labour but lost through the campaign as Labour painted National as extremist because National at that point had been running a, a, a very strong uh, campaign against any sort of co-governance or uh, what it saw as separatism. Uh, and, of course, we had that famous series of billboards, the Iwi Kiwi billboards. Um, the message uh, here, or the view here from me at least, is that um, that co- helped cost uh, National that election and delivered a third term to Labour. And that's the risk for National and the opportunity for Labour. Right, what's happening in housing? Um, That's always a big question, and we've got some fresh figures, you could argue, from CanStar. It is a company that analyzes interest rates and provides information for people on interest rates and the cost of borrowing, and also returns from uh, uh, term deposits. Now, I have to declare an interest here in that uh, I was one of the founders of interest.co.nz, which does something similar. Uh, 
I think, better, but, but um, CanStar certainly puts out analysis. And this morning in the New Zealand Herald, there is analysis showing that with a notional uh, uh, mortgage of well over 600000 for someone who bought in 2021 at the peak, those people are facing a mortgage burden of over 30% of income, which is generally seen as the threshold for housing stress. Now, the implication from this, and certainly the comments from the CanStar person, is that this is you know, a new and disastrous situation and that people are close to the edge. Well, that's the implication. And that this is a big, big problem uh, for not just the economy, but society, that there are some home buyers who bought in 2021 and are now at their uh, financial, the end of their financial tethers because their cost of borrowing is up over 30% of their disposable income. So there's a few things worth challenging here. Uh, firstly, uh, when you look at the actual figures from the Household Economic Survey, at least up until the end of June last year, you can see that more than 43% of renters already pay more than 30% of their income in disposable income. And almost a quarter of all renters pay more than 40% of their disposable income in rent. Now, the numbers for mortgage uh, uh, holders, so homeowners, in the same comparison show that about 20% uh, have a mortgage with interest costs of more than 30% of income. And uh, around 10, 11% have mortgage costs of more than 40%. So what we're talking about here is uh, that group of people who are paying uh, not just more than 30%, but more than 40%. And what you can see here is that renters are two and a half times more likely than owners to be in that very stressed position. And that was back in June of last year. So there will be a few more uh, owners who are in that stressed position of paying more than 40% of their income. But it is not anywhere near the sort of uh, widespread stress that you might think is the case if you only read the headlines. And it's worth remembering, of course, that the people who are in most uh, financial stress in our society have been and are still renters, not buyers. The other thing about this research, and you can see more detail in the email that goes out with this uh, podcast, is that the CanStar analysis assumes that um, the household income of the buyer from 2021 was over 150000 combined, and that the mortgage they took on was about 650000 It's worth looking more closely at that because um, it surprises a lot of people that, A, not a lot of people have mortgages. Only about a third of households actually are in the situation where they have mortgages. And remember, over 60% of households are occupied by people who own their own home. So there's a good third who own their own home and don't have a mortgage. And then there's about a third who have uh, who own their own home and have a mortgage. And about 40%, 35-40% who are renting households. Now, the, um, the position of those who uh, um, have taken on a mortgage... You'd think, with all the reports you hear about a million dollar houses and first home buyers paying crazy amounts of money, 
that most of the mortgages taken out recently would be huge. So, you know, well over five hundred, six hundred thousand dollars $600,000. And that's the assumption that CanStar have used. But when you look at the actual numbers reported by the banks, which I do, and you can see the most recent numbers from ANZ, which is the largest um, uh, home lender in the country, it shows that the average mortgage right across its books as at the um, beginning of this year was more like 193000 So that's not brutally high. And when you look at the, uh, uh, the new mortgages given out towards the end of 2021, the so-called peak of the market, the new mortgage average was about 450. Now, that is an average. Of course, there will be some people at, at the other end, if you like. But of course, so there'd be plenty of people down below 450,000 with a new mortgage. So what this says is that uh, the stressed middle is more stressed than it was because of these higher mortgage rates, but is nowhere near as stressed as you'd expect by looking at the headlines, and that it's worth challenging these various assumptions about how big people's mortgages are and how much of a share of disposable income they are paying, and also ensuring that when you think about the stressed middle, that you're also thinking about the stressed lower and that uh, people who are renting are in much more stress than people who own and uh, have been for years and years and that stress is continuing to grow. And with our high uh, net migration over the last uh, six months or so, we're now starting to see rents rise again as the supply-demand imbalance switches towards um, extra demand and not enough supply of new homes hitting the market. So we are still in an unaffordable position, particularly for renters. And of course, for those buyers, um, they should be able to buy homes much cheaper and have much smaller mortgages. Uh, but the Reserve Bank has said as recently as um, a couple of weeks ago that House prices have fallen about 20%, and that's about as far as they're going to fall. And that house prices, um, particularly in places like Auckland, where they have uh, uh, house prices to in income multiples of over nine, that that is um, a sustainable level, even if it is unaffordable, because of the supply-demand imbalance and simply because of the tax advantages for people who have bought residential property. I'm Bernard Hickey. That was the Dawn Chorus for Monday the 15th of May on Vakaka. Kakite anō.